0: from the Lord and it's in the quiet times the the mountain retreat times that what I praise the Lord touches your hearts and really draws you to himself this weekend and I'm looking forward to spending time with you and sharing with you uh, about the things of the Lord when I go up on Friday and meet with you and teach uh, on Friday evening but uh, I just want to pray with you and for you and i hope you go up with expectation that the lord wants to do that work and not only drawing close to him but then drawing close to each other and, and here's the thing you guys are going to be starting school or kids are going to be starting school soon and you need this time and you need that time to just be quiet before the lord and really focus on the lord and that's what i pray happens and there's fruit that abounds from it and then you guys are going to come back and bless all of us here Uh, because we're going to see that the Lord touched you and I want you to know that the Lord loves you and he desires to do that work in you in that that he wants to just continue to grow you and to have fruit abound in your life and that you be strong and steadfast Uh, in the coming school year when you go to school uh, wherever you guys are at so um, that's what my prayer is, is for you to just have that quiet time before the lord and devotion before the lord and really to allow the lord touch you through the teaching of the word and worship and then being together as well as you come together really as one listen for all of us here we need each other we need each other don't we i mean the world beats us up out there And the world comes against us. And as Christians, I'm beginning to understand more and more in the days in which we are living in how much we really need each other and to encourage each other and to be patient with each other and to love one another. And I know that we don't do that perfectly, and I don't do that perfectly, but it is something that Paul would pray for the Christians as you read in the epistles, as he was writing to the churches, that you may abound in love. He says I've heard of your love to the church of Philippi and in the, the church of Ephesus and some of the others I've heard of your love but I pray that you abound more and more in that love and faith and hope and that's what my prayer is for us so If you'd like to stand, let's stand together and let's pray for these young people getting ready to go on a retreat uh, here and and continue to pray through the weekend for the leaders up there uh, that are going to be with them and uh, safe travels and that they're going to come back and have a good report. Father, we commit them to you, all the kids that are going to be going up. And Lord, I pray that uh, you prepare their hearts for what you have for them. We pray that tomorrow morning as they leave that they would go up safely, Uh, and they would get to their uh, place of arrival, and, Lord, be able to begin what it is that you have for them. And I know that you desire to speak to every high schooler that is there, that you desire to touch their hearts, that you desire to just um, emphasize your love for them and that uh, you have such a wonderful plan for them, that as we sang, we can trust in you And we can rest in in your love and promises. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just speak to them clearly. And, Lord, as they draw closer to you, that they would draw closer to each other. And, Lord, that uh, it would be truly a a group that uh, loves you and is one in Christ with one heart and one accord and one spirit. Uh, And I pray that for this fellowship, Lord. I pray that we would be ones that in the days in which we're living in, that as people come here, that they would sense the love and the presence of Jesus Christ that is here and in our hearts. And Lord, uh, I pray that as the kids go, that they would come back. This would help them uh, to be ready for another school year that's coming up. And Lord, uh, you would make them stronger in you, that you would become more real to them than ever before. So all the logistics, I pray, would work out. Um, i pray nothing would be taken away from what you want to do in the hearts of every one of those kids that go up and lord they would come back and be able to bless the others that perhaps couldn't go and and lord i do ask that you would work mightily and show yourself strong on their behalf and it's in jesus name that we pray and all of god's people said amen all right so you guys are dismissed high schoolers middle schoolers You guys that are here, say hello to one of them as they're being dismissed and say hello to one another, all right? Well, after over three years, we're going to finish the poetic books of the Bible. So if you'll turn to the Song of Solomon in the Old Testament, chapter six, the poetic books being uh, the book of Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and um, Song of Solomon. And then we'll get into the prophetic books uh, starting here shortly. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and Jerry's got one in the back. We'll slip you a Bible you can read with us we're going to cover chapter six seven and eight tonight of song of solomon i would again just reiterate be praying for those kids this weekend there's some other things that are taking place uh we do have men's prayer at seven o'clock um, on uh saturday morning and men's breakfast at eight o'clock at golden Crow. so guys you are welcome to that and i think let me check here real quick there may be a few other things on the calendar if we as we've entered into august and I think that's pretty much it. First Friday's Young Married, you guys, uh, a week from this Friday on the 11th, you'll be meeting at 6 o'clock. And, and don't forget about the all-church picnic August 19th, 5 to 7 o'clock, over at the Banowitz Gathering Place. Easy to find the addresses there. Go uh, Highway 34 east to uh, CR 49. That's the Kingsburg-Hudson Highway. And then you're going to head south for is it 3 miles or 4 miles? 3 miles 3 miles and right there at CR 49 most of you know where it is right on the east corner there this uh, the northeast corner and CR 50 and you'll see it there big sign the gathering place and come join us we're going to provide the meat uh, dinnerware uh drinks bring a side dish it's a great time for us as a church to get together which is very unique because we have four services uh a week and so it's an opportunity for us to be together all at once and so looking forward to that. Uh so mark it on your calendar, August the nineteenth. Speaking of August the nineteenth, be in prayer for Jesse uh who oversees the young adults, he's actually not gonna be at the picnic because he's gonna be leaving that day to go to Peru. And he's gonna go to Peru to teach at the Bible college there. Uh, for two and a half close to three weeks uh, as he's going to be teaching the students there for that amount of time so we're going to miss him but we're uh, just blessed that he's able to do that and uh, so he'll be leaving on the 19th and coming back uh, that first week in September so be in prayer for him and we'll pray for him before he takes off to Peru and teaches Uh, the book of ephesians to those students in peru Um, lots happening here at calvary chapel um, and we'll keep you updated as much as we can next wednesday since we're between the um, poetic books and the prophetic books that start with the book of isaiah and you don't want to miss isaiah You guys coming on wednesday nights when we start isaiah isaiah is called the mini bible And the reason is, is because there's 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. How many books in the Bible are there? 66 books. And you see that the first section of Isaiah is pretty much kind of parallels what the theme of the Old Testament is. And then the last part of Isaiah, uh, the theme of the New Testament. So it's a powerful book. It's an incredible book. You want to come out and, and study that book as we go through it. And so we'll start with Isaiah, and then we'll go to Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, and then we'll get into the minor prophets. Uh, And and so it's going to be a wonderful study, uh, very applicable to us today. And some of the things that Isaiah and Jeremiah write about apply to what we see going around uh, us in, in our nation and spiritually what's going on, and also looking forward to the soon return of Jesus Christ. But before we do that, for the next four weeks, starting next week, I'm going to do a four-week series on standing fast in the last days. And I really wanted to to do this. I felt the Lord just leading me to do this because, uh, again, the kids are going to be starting school. We're going to head into the end of summer and into fall schedules and things like that. But particularly today, we need to learn to stand fast in the Lord in these last days that we are in and of course Paul the Apostle when he was writing to Timothy he said Timothy in the last days it is going to be perilous times he did not say it might be perilous times he said it is going to be perilous times and then he he writes in that chapter these are some of the last words of Paul the Apostle And as we read that, he's pouring out his heart to young Timothy saying that evil imposters are going to grow worse and worse and it's going to get more dark. And this is what you must do. So in week number one, we're going to be looking at standing fast in the word of God. I think that there's a great diminish of the importance of the word of God in the church today. When I say the church, the church as a whole that we see that more and more churches are abandoning the word of God and beginning to adopt the world's philosophy and the world's ways. And we have this book given to us that we can stand on truth. And, and so Paul talks about the the importance of knowing the word of God and, and how profitable it is to us that it's inspired by God and that we need to know the word of God in the days in which we're living in because if you don't know the word of God, you're going to get deceived. You are going to get deceived because there's too many voices out there and there's too many voices that Christians are listening to And we need to make sure that we are checking everything out through the Word of God. So standing fast in the Word of God, week number two, standing fast in godly decisions. Again, we have the Word of God to direct us and to guide us in every area of our lives. And we need to look to the Word of God in that. And oftentimes, Christians, again, are adopting the world's philosophies. And what Paul says is that if you do that, you're going to get cheated. You're going to get cheated if you adopt the world's philosophy traditions of men and that which is not according to christ and we know that in him in Christ, is hidden all the treasures treasures of wisdom and knowledge so we have the word of god that is given to us to guide us and direct us we don't have to be deceived we don't have to be confused we don't have to be in darkness and i think there's too many christians that are listening to to talk you know this and and reality shows and getting their wisdom from oprah and all this other stuff we need to be getting our wisdom from the Word of God, all right? So standing firm in godly decisions. And then week number three, standing firm uh, as a family. As a family, God wants to guide you. He wants to direct you. He wants to strengthen your marriage. And he wants you to be able to be strong in the Lord because the family unit is is the very thing that God created and is important in these days that which we're living in because the world, again, comes along and redefines marriage and is attacking the whole idea of family and we need to as families to be strong in the lord and standing firm in the lord and that's what the lord wants to do uh with your family and then the fourth week standing firm as a church how about us as calvary chapel are we going to be standing firm are we going to stand firm in the word of god and the things of the lord i see some of the things that are going on in the church and i just shake my head and i'm not one that likes to be critical But when I see the different tangents that the church is going to and adopting the world's things and uh, read, you know, an article this week how one pastor signed a contract for six years and $110 million, you know, for the largest church in America, and and it's like sports celebrity. And even on one of the Christian TV channels, they had the decision, you know, what's he going to decide and treating them like he's a football quarterback, And I think that it's just sad to see the trends that we do have in the church when there should be the church that is emphasizing not being worldly, but emphasizing the love of Jesus Christ. When you come here, I pray that this isn't like the world. And I know we're not a perfect church, and we never will be. But that we're about the things of the kingdom and giving the truth of God's word and God's love. Two things, right? I've told you this a hundred times. I'm going to continue to tell you this. Two things that we have to give to others that the world is not going to give to others. God's love and God's truth. And so come to that series. Standing firm in these last days and then for the next four weeks, starting next week, and bring a friend. And I know you'll be tremendously blessed, but I better get going because we got three chapters in the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon, of course, this play, this opera, this being... Um, given to us as Solomon writes it, inspired, of course, by the Spirit of God. This is a very unique book in that it has no doctrine, has no theology, doesn't mention God, but ancient rabbis held it in high regard. It's a portion of of the canon of scripture that we can very much learn from as we see this play at the Shulamite one of the main speakers here this maiden that uh, she's a shepherdess she's out in the vineyards working and she spots this young man who's in disguise and she falls in love with him and she doesn't realize until later that she's falling in love with the king of Israel that is Solomon and so you have this love that develops and they get married and this love that's growing between the Shulamite and the beloved that is King Solomon and and they're expressing their love to each other and then you have the course of Jerusalem uh, the daughters of Jerusalem this course that speaks as well so as we left last time in chapter 5 there is the beloved expressing his love for her and then she has uh, a a difficult night as uh, she uh, heard his voice but Uh, She didn't respond to him, and so she goes out looking for her beloved. And she has a troubled night when she does, but we see that uh, it is the uh, beloved that continues to express his love and uh, begins to uh, just, uh, you know, respond to her. And, And as we're making application going through this, it speaks of the Lord's, you know, love and commitment to us. We are called the bride of Christ. And as we are ones that we desire to have closeness with the Lord, we learn so much from this book how he sees us. And so we left off with the Shulamite. She's complimenting her beloved in the chapter in the chapter 5 by saying he is altogether lovely. And that's something that we can say of our Lord, isn't it? That he's altogether lovely. He's so good to us. And he's so merciful and so loving his love is infinite and and indescribable and unconditional and so she expresses he's altogether lovely this is my beloved and this is my friend oh daughters of jerusalem and we know that jesus would say to his disciples that i no longer call you servants but i call you friends and when he said that it's a term of a special status a term of endearment that that you're my friends you are very special to me so chapter six we see that the daughters of jerusalem this course where has your beloved gone, o ferris among women and where has your beloved turned aside that we may seek him with you and and so here is this course desiring to seek the beloved as well the, the beloved which as we make application, speaking of christ and what i pray that our witness not only in the way that we conduct ourselves which we are to be a witness in that way listen paul said to timothy be an example in conduct and in behavior in speech in faith and impurity but being a witness as people look at us and they see there's something different about us that they see the reality of jesus christ in us uh, the fragrance of christ that we've talked about that paul expresses to the Corinthian believers, that we should be the fragrance of Christ and the countenance of Christ on our face and the love of Christ coming from our hearts and that we are a witness with not only our lives but with the words that we speak. It it causes others to want to seek the Lord just as the daughters of Jerusalem are wanting to. And then the Shulamite speaks in verse 2, My beloved has gone to his garden, to the beds of spices, to feed his flock in the gardens, and to gather lilies, And I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. And he feeds his flock among the lilies. And so we see here that he is the shepherd that feeds the flock. And, of course, throughout the scriptures, we see that God is likened to a shepherd, isn't he? And we know the famous psalm that uh, a lot of people know, even non-Christians know, Psalm 23, that the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. causes me to lie down. In uh, g- green pastures, and lie beside the still waters, and you see that 's what the Lord wants to do. He wants to bring you to that place of peace, a place where uh, it 's green pastures and the still waters that He desires to bring us to, and so we know that the lord he's the good shepherd, and in the book of Ezekiel that will go through. In Ezekiel, we know that Ezekiel was prophesying during a time that there was the irresponsible shepherds, the leaders of Judah that were leading the people astray. But then Ezekiel has a message from the Lord and in chapter 34 that the lord says indeed i myself will search for my sheep and seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day that he's among the scattered sheep so will i seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they are scattered on a cloudy and dark day and i will feed them in good pasture and and their uh, fold shall be on the high mountains of israel and i will feed my flock and i will make them to lie down says the lord god and of course you know In John chapter 10, that Jesus comes along and he says what? That I am the good shepherd. And my sheep know me and they hear my voice and they follow me. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And the shepherd was one that guarded the sheep and protected the sheep and led them to green pastures where they are fed, uh, would care for them. And, And that's our Lord. He protects us. He cares for us. He loves us. But Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd that lays down my life for the sheep. And Jesus, as we're reading on Sunday morning, going through Luke's gospel in his last week of his life before he goes through the cross, that he would be the good shepherd that goes through the cross to die for us because of his love for us. And so a wonderful analogy here throughout the scriptures of, of God being our shepherd and so the, the uh, chapter continues as now the, the beloved begins to praise the Shulamites' beauty in verse 4. Oh, my love, you are as beautiful as Terza. And I'm sure that most of you, you remember who she is in your studies, right? Terza, her name means she is my delight. And she was one of the daughters of Zelophehad, Zelophehad in Numbers chapter 27. You might recall in chapters 27 that Zelophehad had those five daughters, and didn't have any sons. And her husband died, so she goes to Moses and she says, "Okay, uh, concerning inheritance laws, we didn't have any sons. So can our inheritance, my husband's inheritance, pass on to my daughters?" And Moses inquired of the Lord, and the Lord said, "Yes, absolutely." So we see part of the inheritance laws was given in Numbers chapter 27. So here he makes reference that you're as beautiful as Terza and lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. And turn your eyes away from me, for they have overcome me. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep which has come up from the washings. Everyone bears twins, and none of them is barren among them. Like a piece of pomegranate, you are temples behind Uh, are your temples behind your veil so so here in this poetic language that we see here that that he's saying you're special to me to me and and here um looking forward to to being uh, with her this is after the troubled night the beloved solomon is not saying well you didn't respond to me at first You know, you deserve to have a troubled night. Your love for me is not perfect. No, he expresses, you know, the importance of her in his life. He encourages her. You get a picture of this unending love. And I know that there are times in our lives where we feel like, Lord, I fall short that I don't respond to you when I should. I, 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 I Sometimes I hear you wanting to, to speak to me, but I ignore you or I get so busy in life. And our love for him isn't perfect. His love for us is perfect. But we can kind of fail and we fall short. And we think, Lord, I must be so disappointing to you. When here to beloved that he's saying, you're beautiful like tarsa which means she is my delight you're my delight and you're god's delight and don't forget that that he delights in you and he desires for you to continue to draw close to him he's so patient and long suffering and he's one that's so forgiving and his love will never fail for us and that's what the beloved is showing here in verse 8 That there are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one. The only one of her mother, the favorite of the one who bore her. The daughter saw her and called her blessed, the queens and the concubines, and they praised her. Now, it's kind of interesting here. Let's go to verse 10. And who is she who looks forth as the morning, fair as the moon, and clear as the sun, and awesome as an army with banners? So again, he's expressing how special she is how important she is but then he confesses there are 60 queens and 80 concubines and you know that solomon during the time that he reigned he was the wealthiest man that ever lived he wore golden sandals and he had a thousand wives and concubines and it is believed some of the writings of uh, the rabbis and and um, you know uh, that look at the old testament they believe that solomon That He wrote this play here and of course we know from 1 Kings chapter 4 that he wrote a thousand and four songs and this is the song of songs but he wrote this early in his reign that when he first became king he met the Shulamite and, and fell in love with her and ended up marrying her. But we know that during Solomon's life, he had a thousand wives and concubines. And so at this point here, it's interesting. He says there's 60 queens and there's 80 concubines. Now, there's a couple of different ways you can make application. I've had, you know, read where, where guys, Bible teachers make application of that we, as the body of Christ, we are one, aren't we? We are one body but we're made up of different members. And so the Lord loves all of us, and he loves us equally. Um, There isn't that he has his favorites. Uh, He doesn't, you know, uh, the foot of the cross is flat for all of us to access, and he shows no partiality. And so the Lord loves us all equally, unconditionally, infinitely. His love is indescribable, unmeasurable, is what the scripture says. But then the other side of the spectrum is that there are those who write and say that Solomon here he began to take on wives and concubines, and part of that was a cultural thing that more powerful the king, the more you had wives you had in harems and making treaties with other nations and things like that. But it ended up where those wives, those foreign wives, led Solomon astray, didn't they? And he ended up burning incense to those foreign gods that came from the foreign lands, the the wives that, that brought those false gods. And it brought trouble to the nation from that time off until they would go off into captivity. Listen, don't have any idols in your life. And don't have any other things that are a priority over your relationship and love and devotion to the Lord. And that can easily happen. Those things, anything in your life that is a priority over your love and devotion to the Lord. What is it that motivates you? What excites you? What do you live for? What do you turn to or who do you turn to in your hour of need? And you see, there's a lot of things that can really catch our attention that become idols, and even ministry can become an idol. I have to be careful with that, that you, Lord, that you have preeminence over every area of my life and all of my heart. You are truly the one, even as the beloved is saying here, that you're the one, the only one. Make sure that there's no other things that are coming into your life that you can honestly say, You know what? That's taking priority over my devotion and love for the Lord. It's becoming an idol. There's a lot of things that become an idol. We sometimes think of an idol as a statue, you know, uh, that you bow down and worship to, you know, that's in your house or something. An idol can be sitting in your driveway. An idol can be all kinds of different things. Anything that has a priority over your devotion to the Lord and your love for the Lord. So we want to be careful in that. And so here he says there's there's 60 queens 80 concubines virgins without numbers and all of this but then the shulamite begins to speak in verse 11 and i went down to the garden of nuts to see the vin- verdure of the valley to see whether the vine had budded and the pomegranates had bloomed before I, I was even aware my soul had made me as the chariots of my noble people and so as we continue to grow in our devotion and love with him his desire is to produce fruit that's my prayer for those kids that are going on the retreat that's my prayer for all of us that we would continue to grow in our love for him and our devotion to him to know him understand that the most important thing in our Christian lives is to know him it's more important than serving him and I am not saying that serving the Lord is not important it's very important but that service ought to come out from your love for him And as you know him, you can't help but love him more. And then you're going to have a desire to serve him. And then as you're serving him and as you're living for him, then fruit's going to be produced in your life. Jesus in John chapter 15 would say, Abide in me, and you'll bear fruit. Abide in my love and abide in my word. And you're going to bear forth much fruit, and that fruit's going to remain. So I pray that we're all fruity, okay? And that we produce that fruit because we are loving the Lord and abiding in Him, staying connected to Him and devoted to Him and walking with Him and in His love and in His word. So she's expressing that. And then in verse uh, 13, the beloved and his friends return, Return, O Shulamite, return, return that we may look upon you. Listen. Maybe you've kind of been away from the Lord. Maybe you've been away because just of the cares of the world. We all have cares of the world, don't we? We get busy with life. We get busy with things. Maybe it's because you've strayed away into carnality or sin. Maybe you've been away involved in something that you know that the Lord's been dealing with you about. And the message of the Lord is the return. Return to me, he says. He says, come to me. He says, I want you to give that up, that which is going to hurt you, that which is going to lead you astray, that which is going to leave you empty, and return to me. To return to me that intimacy and that closeness. And that's the invitation that he gives to you tonight, if that applies to you, to any of us. So he says, return here, and then the Shulamite... What would you see in the Shulamite as it were the dance of the two camps? So the beloved to the Shulamite, uh, you know, saying return because perhaps she's feeling a little bit insecure. And you see, sometimes we think we can't come back to the Lord. We think we can't come back because he doesn't delight in us. He's disgusted with us. But I want you to know that you can always come back to the Lord as you desire, as you call out to Him, as you say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I've been so distracted. And He welcomes you with open arms. Just like the prodigal son that came back, it was the father that ran out to meet him. And I really believe That while that younger brother was gone and he was wasting his life, that's what prodigal means, wasteful on wasteful spending and on carnality and sin, and he found himself eating the pig slop, that he wanted to come back. And I believe that as he finally made that decision to go back, I will go back to my father. I will return. I think that every day the father was out looking. He was out looking for his son to come back. And the only time that you have a picture of the father being in a hurry was to run out and to greet his son. He said he's come back. And who was upset? It was the older brother. And it was the father that was pleading with the older brother, your son was lost, but now he's found. And he's come home. And so we don't want to be the older brother that when somebody has been away from the Lord and they've been involved in sin or carnality or whatever the case may be and when they desire to come back that we stick up our noses and hold them out and we're like wait a minute it's not that simple you've been in the pig pen what makes you think you can just waltz in here and just start worshiping again and drawing close to the lord no we're to welcome them and encourage them because that's the heart of the father so she's feeling perhaps a little insecure and and, and, and he's saying, return, return, trying to encourage her in chapter 7, to be love again, expression of his uh, love for her. How beautiful are your feet and sandals, O oh princes, daughters. The curves of your thighs are like jewels. The work of your hands of a skillful workman. Your navel is a rounded goblet. Uh, it lacks no blended beverage. Your waist is a heap of wheat. Set about with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. And your eyes like the pools in Heshbon by the gate of, of Bath Ribbon. Uh, your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon, which looks towards Damascus. You've got to remember, this is ancient poetry here, so... <laughs> verse 5 your head crowns you like mount carmel and the hair of your head is like purple and the king is held captive by your tresses and so again the shulamite is beautiful too, to the be beloved and then in verse 6 how fair and how pleasant you are uh, O love with your delights this stature of yours is like a palm tree your breasts like it clusters. I said I, I will go up to the palm tree. I will take hold of its branches. Now let your breasts be like clusters of the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples, and the roof of your mouth like the best wine. So he speaks of his love for her. I, I read somewhere where the older a palm tree gets, the more fruit it is, fruitful it is, that is. Produces more fruit. As we're growing in the Lord and our love for Him, as we're growing older in the Lord, we should continue to produce fruit. I hope we don't get lethargic and lazy. You know, that's one of the things that we see in the New Testament. Over and over again, the commandment and the exhortation given to us is to watch and be sober, don't go to sleep spiritually. Continue to press closer to the Lord to know Him. And as you do, as you continue to live for him, you're going to continue in your journey in life to be fruitful. Uh, You always have whatever season that you're in to produce fruit for the Lord. And so we continue in verse 9, the second part. The wine goes down smoothly for my beloved, uh, moving gently the lips of sleepers. I am my beloved's, and his desire is towards me. So maturity says, I believe the word of God, that I belong to him through faith. That he does love me. And we need to always remember that. And listen, if you ever doubt the love of God, look to the cross. That while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's why he went to the cross. Because he loves you so much. He wants to forgive you. He wants you to spend eternity with him. Isn't that amazing? He wants you to be with him for all eternity to be forgiven. And you see, it's so wonderful that our God cares so much about us because there was a sin problem. All of us have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. And that's why Jesus came. That's why he went to the cross to shed his blood, to take all of your sins upon himself. And then he cried out, it is finished. I've done the work. I've paid the price. And now you come in faith just as you are. And you come and you put your faith and trust in him because he is your salvation. He is the only salvation that there is. And he's provided forgiveness. He, he breathed his last. He was put into a grave. He rose again after three days. The tomb is empty. He proved that he is the son of God. He conquered sin and death. And he did it all because he loves you. And as he took that cross down the narrow streets of Jerusalem out the Damascus gate and to that place of execution, he was thinking about every single one of you. I am convinced of that. It was you that was on his mind and on his heart because he knew that you would be here on this August, Wednesday night, 2017. And he says, I love you more than you can ever, ever imagine. And that's why I went to the cross, so that you can be forgiven and be with me in all eternity. And that's a reality. And as Jude says, that he who is able to keep you from stumbling will present you before his presence with exceeding joy. It's one of my favorite verses. That we here in Christ are going to see our Lord and he's going to present us before the Father and the Father and the Son are going to rejoice over you with exceeding joy. Look what the work of grace has done. And then we are his inheritance. I mean, we have a really good deal, folks. Think about it. He did the work on the cross. We come in faith. He saves us. And now as we come to him in faith and believe in him it's imputed to us righteousness and and we have the promise of eternal life and right relationship with the father and then he desires to use us we are his poem his workmanship creating in christ jesus for good works but he's the one that does the good works through us and then he's going to reward us for those good works when we stand at the bamer reward seat of christ And we have his inheritance an eternal inheritance. And here's really what is really the amazing part of this is that in Ephesians chapter 1, when we're looking at all the heavenly blessings that are ours, the spiritual blessings, that Paul's prayer is this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, that is heaven, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saint what he's saying is you and i are his inheritance when i think about we have an eternal inheritance because we're joint heirs with christ we have the the spirit of adoption as paul writes in galatians and in romans that we can cry out abba father relationship we have an eternal inheritance and the Lord sees us as his inheritance, I think, moi, me? You got the short end of the deal, Lord. But that's how much he delights in you. And never forget that. His deep love for you. That would cause his son to come and die in place of you and for you. So here in verse 11, come my beloved, and that's the invitation to you. Come, let us go forth the, 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 to the fields. Let us lodge in the villages. As here, the Shulamite is speaking. Let us go up early in the vineyards. Here, a heart is what I pray that you have a desire to spend time with him. Let us see if there is vine has budded, whether the grape blossoms are open, and the pomegranates are in bloom. And there, I will give you my love. Uh, the mandrakes give off a fragrance. And at our gates are pleasant fruits, all manner new and old, which I have laid up for you, my beloved. And oh, that you are like my brother who nursed at my mother's breasts if i should find you outside i would kiss you and i would not be despised i would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother she who is to instruct me i would cause you to drink of spiced wine of the juice of my pomegranate and so here as we go into chapter eight the final chapter here she doesn't want to to you know um the the beloved to be his brother but see in that culture if you kissed anybody in public beside your brother, you know, on the cheek, it it was seen as looked down upon. So what she's saying is that I want to show her, you know, um, I want to show him my beloved, my devotion and affection to to be able to do that. Listen, don't be a secret closet Christian because the culture is going to look down upon you. Don't be afraid to tell people, I love the Lord and I believe in Him. And I have faith in Him. You don't have to be obnoxious about it. But when somebody comes up and says, you know, there's something different about you, or you can say, because I'm a Christian. Or why won't you come join us after work? You go run to the bars, you know, and go drinking. Because I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. and He doesn't want me doing that. Come, you won't watch certain things or go certain places or whatever it's because i don't want to do that i'm a christian so don't be afraid to proclaim that to others even though you know you may not be the most popular person at work or in your family or in the neighborhood but the lord has preeminence in my life and in my heart in verse three his left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me this is the daughters of jerusalem I charge you, old daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. And we've seen the third time that verse 4, do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. It's talking about here that his love is able to uphold her and keep her. And don't let love, you know, as he says, don't stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. No, don't interrupt it. Don't let anything, listen, come into your life. Is going to interrupt that love for him or take that love away. The enemy is going to try to do that. He's going to dangle everything in the world in front of you. He's going to try to deceive you. He's going to try to have you pursue other things. And we don't want that. Lord, I, I want to spend time with you. I, I don't want that interruption. I don't want the world coming in and distracting, you know, it, it, with my love for you. And then in verse 5, relative. Who is this coming up from the wilderness? This is the first time we've seen a relative. We've seen the brother speak. Leaning upon her beloved, I awaken you under the apple tree. There your mother brought you forth, and there she she who brought you brought you forth. And so here in in verse 5, you know, the relative saying, Who's this? You know, you're leaning upon your beloved. Anybody ever say to you, Yeah, being a Christian, you know, you're weak. You know, it's just, you know, a crutch. That's all it is for weak people. Uh, Perhaps you've had people do that. It's like, you know what, I am weak, all right? And he makes me strong. And he's the one that I lean upon. You lean upon him. You lean upon your own strength, and you're going to fall flat on your face. You lean upon your own understanding, and you're going to be confused. You lean upon the Lord. And when other people say, oh, you know, you, you just trust in the Lord, and you say yes. It's just a crotch, you know. You need to make your own decisions. You know what? I have the Lord. He's my strength. He's my refuge. He's everything that I need. He's everything that I need. He's my Lord. And then in verse 6, Yeshua might to her beloved set a seal upon, uh, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. Again, in the scriptures, we see that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Uh, in Ephesians, the, the uh, spirit of, uh, is given to us as a guarantee. Second Corinthians speaks about all of that. For our love is as strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Verse 7, many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Listen, people will try to think, uh, somehow I've got to gain, I've got to buy God's love. Here the Shulamite is saying, uh, all the wealth of the house, it would be utterly despised. The flood's trying to drown it out. Listen, the Lord loves you. You cannot buy His love. You cannot gain it. He already loves you. You can't try to earn it, be worthy of it, accept it and enjoy it, because of His infinite love for you. And I want to remind you again in Romans chapter 8 very quickly, some of the greatest verses in all of Scripture that Paul writes, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or pearl or sword? As it is written, For your sake we were killed all day long. We were counted as sheep for the slaughter, slaughter. Yet, in other words, we were lost, but yet in all these things, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He went to the cross for us, and I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height or death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The incredible love of our Lord. You can't earn it. He loves you. Accept it and enjoy it, and then walk in that love. And then as we go to verse 8, the Shulamites brothers, we have a little sister. She has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build upon her a a battlement of silver. And if she is a a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. Uh, The brothers want to keep her from him. Listen, there are going to be those that are going to keep you from the Lord. Listen. There are going to be those who want to keep you from the Lord. The world, maybe old friends, family members, they want to keep you from the Lord. And don't let that happen. Don't compromise. <coughs> don't let them draw you away from the Lord. You stay close to Him. And then the Shulamite in verse 10, I am a wall, my breast like towers. Then I became in his eyes as one who found peace. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Hamon. He leased the vineyard to keepers. Everyone was to bring for its fruit a thousand silver coins. In other words, you know, her joy and satisfaction is in him. And in uh, verse 11, Solomon leased the vineyard, but you can have me freely. You know, uh, I want you freely, Shulamite. Uh, I know because I'm so secure in your love, is what she's saying. Yo, know, you leased it to your vineyard to others. But everyone was to bring forth his fruit of silver uh, silver coins. But to Solomon, my own vineyard is before me. You, O Solomon, may have a thousand, and those who tend its fruits, two hundred. And, the beloved, you will dwell in the gardens of the companions. Listen for your voice. Let me hear it. Speaking of fellowship, and make haste as we end this play, my beloved, the Shulamite says, and be like a gazelle of, or a young stag on the mountains of spices and so fellowship is so important with the Lord and so Solomon here expressing again his love and the Shulamite receiving it wonderful book that is before us as father we finish this play and it just shows us the importance of how you view us how much you love us you care for us and Lord we're even going to Be reminded of that as we come to the communion table tonight, as we customarily do on the first Wednesday and Sunday, that Jesus, in that upper room, right before he went to the cross, said, you know, take take the bread. This is my body broken for you. And drink of the cup, which symbolizes my blood, the forgiveness of sin. And we belong to this new covenant, a covenant of love, of sacrifice, of grace, of victory. So I pray that tonight, tonight's lessons will show us and remind us and confirm in us your love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For Christ proved his love for us the scripture says that while we we're yet sinners Christ died for us and so Lord may we never doubt the love that you have for us and all of us most of us probably know the saying that it wasn't the nails that kept Jesus on that cross it was his love because there was no other hope for salvation for any of us So I pray if there's anyone here that you're listening on live stream or going to listen on the radio later or in the coffee shop or in the sanctuary, wherever, listening to a CD, maybe downloading on the computer later, listen, Jesus loves you. He's provided salvation for you. He is your salvation. No one else died for you. No one else rose from the grave only Jesus. He proved that he's the son of God. You cannot earn salvation. You cannot work for it. It doesn't come by joining a church. It doesn't come by being religious. It doesn't come by uh, trying to be religious enough, righteous enough. None of us are good enough. That's why Jesus went to the cross. It comes by faith alone. Putting your faith and trust in him as your Lord and Savior. To ask for forgiveness. To come as you are And to confess that I I haven't lived a perfect life, I've sinned, and I need to be forgiven. To realize that He has provided that forgiveness on the cross for you, and He desires to be not only your Savior, but Lord of your life. He says that as He knocks on the door of your heart, if you open up your heart to Him, He will come in and He will dine with you. It speaks of fellowship. And he will answer your prayers. You pray for Jesus to be the Lord of your life. It's the most important decision you will ever make. And you can do that right where you're sitting. In your heart, you can pray, Jesus, I come to you. I am a sinner. And I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on that cross for me and you rose again after three days in your life speaking to my heart tonight. This moment, and I ask that you sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me. I want to know you. I thank you for this new beginning. I want to walk with you. I want to, Lord, be devoted to you. And I thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer, I want to welcome you to the family of God. And I want you to come up when the service ends. Tell me the decision that you made so I can encourage you. I want to bless you. But as we come to the communion table, as the elements are being handed out, that you would just hang on to them. We just continue in worship and awe of the incredible work that Jesus did for us as we hold the elements, and then we'll partake of them together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.